welcome to the nerd party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop. Punch it. Punch that shit. Let's punch it. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is Punch It! Writing in Star Trek. I'm your co-host, Tristan Riddell, and with me today, this week, is... John Mills! That's right, John Mills. The John Mills, a Jedi Master, is going to cross the streams and come on over and talk Star Trek with us today. John, how are you doing tonight? I'm Actually, I'm pretty thrilled to be here, Tristan. I, I really enjoy Punch It! I'm, I'm a fan of the show, uh, and I am honored to be uh, filling in for Char who is one of my favorite people in podcasting. So, uh, you know, as everybody well knows. She is one of my favorite people in podcasting as well. And so are you. And that is one of the many reasons why I'm so excited tonight. Yes, this week, uh, we had to take a week off last week, folks. But we didn't want to deprive you of Punch It two weeks in a row. And um, Shar is busy off living her life, living her dream. And, and so uh, I invited you, John, to talk Star Trek. And actually, just as an update... I'm going to be taking off next week because I'm going to be traveling slash partying uh, because it's my birthday and Shar is going to have her own guest on and that's going to be a surprise treat for you guys. So we're mixing it up in the writer's room. Yeah, it's a, it's a cavalcade. You're turning it into a cavalcade is what you're doing. <laughs> I like that word. I, I need to integrate that into something. <laughs> I've always been a fan myself. So, okay. Now this, we're, we're doing something a little bit different because last time that you were on, we did an away mission where we talked Star, Star Wars um, yes. because you're a geek with no range. Like you just wanted to, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, 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 no that, that, that's exactly, that's exactly right. We all know that I, I know nothing else about anything else. That, that's true. <laughs> it's very true. Very true. Accurate statement. And so we wrote a movie, a Star Wars movie on the fly, totally separate from the Skywalker saga, if I remember correctly. You do. You do. It was a, it was kind of like a genesis. It wasn't a genesis of the of the genesis of the <laughs> Jedi movement. It was, I think, a lightsaber got yep. lost on an alien world, and then an entire yes. culture was built around that lightsaber. That's that's good storytelling. That's just great stuff right there. Uh, yeah, actually, I uh, I remember writing that, and we did have a lot of fun. And I would encourage anybody to go back and listen to it because they, I I think it was a very enjoyable romp. I really should have looked up that episode number before I, uh, I started recording, but it'll be in the show notes, folks. If you, if you go to thenerdparty.com slash punch it and, uh, and, and look us up there, it'll be in this episode's show notes. This is episode 77. And um, one thing that you can do is, one thing that we love here at Punch It is sh show suggestions, listener suggestions. And so please write us, email us, let us know what you would like us to talk about, whether it's Star Trek or something else. I mean, Star Trek is always is always great, but sometimes we'll do away missions like we were talking about just now. So what you need to do is you need to go to the nerdparty.com slash contact, select punch it from the drop down menu, fill out the form, it'll send us an email. You can also find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the nerd party. You can find the show account at uh, on Twitter at join nerd party. You can find me personally on Twitter at the insane Robin. Uh, John, where can we find you on Twitter? Oh, on Twitter, you can find me as Kessel Junkie uh, roaming around. You can also find me here on the network as uh, part of aggressive negotiations uh, with Matthew Rushing. And you can find me co hosting uh, Great Shot Kid with Mike Schindler. 
And you can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds with Craig. Some of my favorite podcasts on the interwebs, and not just because they're on our network, um, and as well as Words with Nerds. And that made it sound like it wasn't part of my favorite. It is a part of my favorite. It's just not a part of the, the nerd party. That's right. But That's right. You can find tons of other great, you can find those shows as well as tons of other great shows on the nerd party by going to thenerdparty.com. Now, John. Tristan. John Mills. Yes. Let's, let's talk some Star Trek because you and I on the fly, this is one of my favorite things about Punch It is doing stuff on the fly, writing stuff on the fly. So we're not exactly writing a story necessarily. Like we're not going to be writing an episode or a movie. We might be establishing a premise, but the main thing that we're going to be doing tonight is developing a crew, our own mm -hmm. crew who would be headlining, whether it's a movie series or a movie, it's just one movie, because I, I know that's avant-garde today, just to have one movie in mind <laughs> instead of an entire franchise, yeah. um, or like a TV show or something like that. Whatever it is, novel, don't care, comic book, doesn't matter. We're developing our own crew, which is kind of every Star Trek fan's dream who has writer's aspirations is developing the crew, like who's in the captain's seat, what type of person's in security, who's flying the ship, and everything like that because we all have our favorites like when we're thinking engineering like we think scotty or torres or jordy or we mm -hmm. think um you know counselor we pretty much only have one person to think of there yes <laughs> that is true. right yes um but that's why i'm excited to talk about it with you so we you and i have not talked about this yet like we haven't developed anything mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so this is fresh we're getting out the whiteboard scraping it clean and from here on out it's pure imagination and a little bit of illumination so john let's let's first talk about era maybe a little bit of premise like when you when you're thinking of you and i doing a show together mm -hmm. what kind of era do you want to be in with star trek because i mean right now we're kind of stuck in a, in a prequel phase you know we haven't seen um we haven't seen the the prime time excuse me we haven't seen um What's, what's the term I'm looking for? Because Discovery is is technically in the prime timeline. Yeah, we haven't seen uh, I, that is twenty fourth century. Yeah, twenty uh, fourth century. I think that I think that's a yeah. safe way to state it. Yeah, let's say that we haven't seen the twenty fourth century or later since Nemesis, and that was a long right. time ago. Too long, really too long, ago. really too long. So I, I think probably you, you find my preference right there. I want to put it post Nemesis. I think that's I, yeah. that's definitely, I mean, that's a crowd pleaser right there. You've won over most of the fan base, if not all of it. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, it, like, you know, I, I remember when Discovery was coming out and everybody was saying, oh, well, why not explore the time period between six and the next generation, which is valid. You know, I'd love to see a show set in that time period and everything. But in all honesty, if you, I really think if you want to sidestep a lot of the things that people are going to talk about in terms of matching the technology or the canon or whatever else, blah, blah, blah. Setting it post-nemesis, you're free and clear. There's absolutely no burden of expectation of how something's going to look or how something's going to work. It's just there. And I think that frees you up, especially in terms of the crew, because you wind up having a, uh, a totally different sandbox to be in. I, like, I think it, it frees you because I think that Although maybe we'll be proven wrong uh, at this point, but it seems that Picard's story is over, and so that crew is in the past for now, wink. But I think that you could uh, very easily, you know, 
let's get a new crew. Let's make it post nemesis and let's make it uh, big and exciting. I think that's it's entirely spot on. Everything that you said is entirely spot on because that's the thing is that like when they came out with Discovery and they said that it was going to be a prequel and they talked about it was going to be 10 years before Kirk and Spock and everything like that. So many theories were floating around as to why. It was, mm-hmm. why are we doing this? Like, why are we going back? We, we, we already had a series with Enterprise, which was before Kirk and Spock. We already have a movie, you know, um, trilogy so mm-hmm. far that's, that, that started pre-Kirk and Spock, literally, like right before. Yeah. And, and so we're just like, why do we keep going back to this time? Is it because the heyday? Is it because that's when everything began? And some people were saying like, oh, well, maybe... They're going back in time. They're going to this pre-TOS age because of the technology, because we became too advanced in a a post-nemesis world. Like the 24th century was becoming too advanced where you just flip a switch and everything was done. There was no rough and tumble uh, wild, wild west like it Mm -hmm. was in in the TOS days. And I'm like, hey, that's a pretty valid theory. But then Discovery came out and... (laughs) Yes, they have such advanced technology. They have holograms and 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 other things that I other examples that I could give right now, um, but it's just so that theory was completely out the window. Uh, but to focus to stay on track, yeah, I very much want to be in a post nemesis world because I was raised on on the twenty fourth century. Like I was I was born in the eighties, and that's when TNG came out. So that was the main thing that I knew was sure. was tng onward and that that's that's my home 24th century is my home i want to go back just like i'm sure that people who were born you know 1967 and before you know the 23rd century is their home yeah you know i uh i i find myself it's really weird because i find myself straddling the two eras because you know movie star trek is sort of like you know cutting my teeth on and then next but next gen was on tv sort of thing so i I, you know it's it's the true gen x quandary of like what what musical genre do you have grunge oh where do i belong yeah exactly but i you know i just think that it i i would want to take every opportunity post nemesis i might even want to you know distance it out a little bit more and put it at the point where when we meet our crew we have somebody in advanced age makeup the way that DeForest Kelly did it at the beginning of the next generation. So I want to set us so far ahead that maybe we've uh, gotten LeVar Burton uh, in, you know, old age makeup to show up. And, you know, he he's the one as the ship gets christened. So we have an echo of the next generation right there as the ship is getting ready to go out on its mission. I love that idea. And you, cho- like, just right off the top of your head, you chose brilliantly LeVar Burton as Jordy LaForge would be a perfect, perfect choice. Of course. To, to have a throwback. Yeah. It's just absolutely perfect. So, okay. So post Nemesis so far post that actually, I think that would bring us into the 25th century then if we're going that far or forward. There, or thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause they were in the, the, they were in the seventies, I think when TNG started. Yeah, you're right. Yes. And so, yes, or, that actually, would... no, it was, it was no uh, Voyager was in the seventies. Yeah, but that's sort of contemporaneous. Huh? That's sort of contemporaneous because Nemesis and Deep Space Nine are all going on at the... Not Nemesis oh, specifically, but... No, I was I was correcting myself because TNG oh. started in the 60s. Like I, oh, okay, kind of, okay. I If I do believe so, I, I might be wrong. But And so if we're doing that far forward in the future, it we kind of have to be the early 25th century, don't you think? Yes. Because 30 years forward, um, 
it wouldn't be old old age makeup makeup especially with federation technology because i like i feel like picard is 10 years older than patrick stewart is yeah yeah i mean longevity of course yes you're you're absolutely right so that at least frees us up and yeah but yes i want to hit the fast forward button and get uh pretty far ahead i think the only challenge with that uh, becomes does become how to put the crew together because you've got to also imagine this is a different ship, this is a different technological age. So where do we go to put the crew together? Who is who is Jordy meeting? I want to know who Jordy is meeting with on the bridge or in the hallway. Not to do a a, a kind of a, a, an improv deny, but I feel like we might need to talk about the premise a little bit before we start developing the crew because do you think it would be a little bit better to develop a premise and then build a like and then say like what kind of captain would be on being in this premise or should we develop a captain and then draw a premise around that i feel like we need to kind of do a mission statement a little bit first don't you or am i wrong I, i could be persuaded but i'm coming at it from putting the crew together and then letting their mission grow out of that but that i understand is not typically how it's going to go uh but when i approach let's call this you know the reboot of star trek on tv in the future or whatever you want to say Mm -hmm. um i think the mission statement is most likely going to be what star trek's mission statement usually is which is we're going to go out and explore and we're going to find something new so i think we've got our mission statement but maybe to speak to your point where are they going to how how much of the galaxy is unexplored at this point and what's their starting point no, I like I like that. I think I think you've you've established you've established it. It's it's pure exploration. It's you know like with discovery, we weren't even though we were going back to our roots in terms of timelines. Discovery is very much not returning to its roots of exploration. I don't think. Um, I mean, like yes, they're still exploring. They're still going out there. We're still seeing strange new worlds and new civilizations. But it's not like TNG. It's not like, you know, it's um. It's, it's not, not like Enterprise or a TOS where they're just like, we're on a ship, we're going out there and we're just figuring out what we can see. And I think this would be, this would be a great marketing thing because it's something that all Trekkies want. And it also would get back to what people who don't like discovery, it would get back to, it would get the people back who don't like discovery for whatever reason saying like, Oh, like, you know, like J.J. Abrams was like, this isn't your grandfather, Star Trek. And, you know, like in, in Discovery, they kind of use the same kind of came, same kind of thing. Like, this isn't like what you've seen before. This one is just like, hey, it's new. It's in the future. But we're getting back to that exploration sense that's in our bones. So do it's we, a long way of me saying, yes, I agree with you. Do we want them exploring extra galactically? Do we want this to be the first crew crossing the Great Barrier? Uh, not the one on the inside of the galaxy, but one, the one on the outside. I know that I know that the Enterprise D crossed over with the Traveler episode and everything like that. But this is our first foray without um, pseudo magic uh, to get us there. So, do we want that to be, or are they exploring more of the galaxy from, say, the Delta Quadrant or something like that? What what? Where are they going to explore? I am personally in love with the idea of going extra galactically simply because I think that even frees up the audience and the writing staff to 
go cr- absolutely crazy because we don't really know what's out there. So how exciting could it be, uh, you know, to be, you know, oh, you know, free floating stuff. And that, I think, also would, you know, influence what crew you would put on there. I think I think that's a great idea because I was kind of leaning in that direction as well, where, you know, like we know from like, of course, it's not canon, whatever. I, I even hate saying that nowadays. But like, if you look at the novels, they've perfected slipstream, you know, capabilities so that they can go to and from the Delta Quadrant at ease. And so it's no longer a 75 year journey. Well, if that's the case, then maybe they like this is the first crew that is go going to go beyond the delta quadrant or beyond the gamma quadrant or mm-hmm. things like that so it's just like you said extra galactically so they're going outside of the milky way and this i think that would be a great hook like this like even though like humans have visited here and there because yeah. of you know anomalies like this is going to be the first crew to intentionally leave yes <laughs> the galaxy yes i think intentionality like, is the key right here you're yeah. you're absolutely right yeah yeah i think i think that's great i think we should go in that route and this is intentional this is the federation saying yes we want to send people out there we have the technology how do we do it how do we like it's going to be like even though we can get you out there faster and better it's going to mean less stops coming back like it's not going to be easy to come back this is going to be a long-term mission not a lot of support um so yeah what kind of so, so we've we've prefaced this a lot we, we've built it up in a, in a lot of people's minds so who's who's the captain on this who who do we get there i want to put the idea out there that there's no real captain that this is a voyage so fraught with um you know, being so far away from command structure and everything that we get back to an idea that Roddenberry had for next gen when it was still under development, which was get rid of the stations and have the conference table approach to it. Because I envision a crew that there are going to be people that are basically like an anthology crew where not everybody is going to be a constant so you would have one captain in, you know, in hypersleep or whatever. I'm, you know, I, I'm not saying necessarily that, but I'm saying like every couple of episodes you'd have a different captain and then like every, you know, like half season or so, the two captains would have to work together to figure out a thing. Or am I going too far off the rails with that? I think you might be going too far off the rails with okay. that where I, 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 you, you had me at you know, like there's no real captain. Like, okay, where do we go from there? And then you just went bad crap crazy a little bit. So <laughs> Probably so. So how, how about this, though? How about refining it and saying that there's no real quote-unquote captain? It's the ship itself is the captain. Explain that. Are you talking about like some AI? Yes. Or are you just saying, oh, okay, so we are saying. The, so The core of the ship is AI. So it's like could, mother? What, 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 is, what is this? Like something from like Alien? That, something like that, but not... See, the, the problem with approaching it like Mother from Alien is Mother is a subservient thing. Input, command. It's still input, response sort of situation. Data we see in evolution of somebody trying to be human. Uh, I want to embrace something that is completely... I mean, Star Trek is about encountering new life and new forms of, of living expression and stuff like that. And we're all at the crux right now of the singularity. So I think it would make sense 
to have a crew in a sense that is dealing with you know they're they're going to be aliens and they're going to be humans but all of them are dealing with this life form that is alien to all of them and it's the captain as they're going extra galactically that is intriguing that is what if we're like we're so far in the future that the federation has overcorrected with data mm. now i'm not saying literally data i'm saying the legacy of data where you know at the longest like you know data was like he went to the academy and he was an officer for years a very long time before he reached even lieutenant commander and the reason why is because of discrimination where people thought like oh he's you know, he's not real. He's just a robot. You know, he's artificial intelligence. We can't trust him on a starship. And so what if, they, like I said, they overcorrect and they go so far extreme where basically a ship is a huge robot itself and like basically a babysitting device where this AI has a personality and is an, is a quote unquote individual and they are the personification of the current ideals of the Federation mm -hmm. and of Starfleet to what they think, or at least what the brass think is the, the perfect ideals of, of what it is to be a Federation citizen and a Starfleet officer. And so this is a pilot program for or maybe not a pilot program, but like maybe this has kind of become the norm where the ship can override you if they think you're, if, if they think it's wrong or I'm getting my pronouns all screwed up there. Um, and maybe, just maybe, because this is Star Trek and we want to we showcase the individuals who are you know, leading the way and are different, maybe we have this core group who is here to prove the Federation wrong, that we need to get back to our roots, that human intuition or like, I don't, maybe not human, human intu intuition is the wrong term because it's multicultural and multispecial. But like we need to go back to that gut instinct, not just computer ones and zeros to calculate risk. I don't know. Do you see where I'm going here? I do see where you're going. And I like this because it sets up a sort of gentle uh, adversary sort of approach to it where and, and the thing is, you can expand it out and say this becomes a musing on society itself. We've seen, you know, oh, Klingon and human and different alien and human and different humans and, and those sorts of things where these different types of beings are trying to relate to each other. And if we have a federation where all of these people have learned to work together, and then you have a new life form that is changing the nature of how they understand life itself, and it's, shaping, it's reshaping their society, I think you're, you have a lot of opportunity for exploration of how do people cope with that, um, and how do people help each other cope with that? And I, I think there could also be some subtle callbacks along the way of, you know, V'ger regarded the carbon-based units as an infestation. Mm -hmm. So there's almost a sense of they have become the, the carbon-based infestation on this ship because there are certain things the ship can't do, quote-unquote, on its own. And or we justify not just robots on the ship and not just an AI because they are anticipating that they will encounter other cultures that don't 
relate to non-living life forms. Like we can't send a data everywhere because there might be a civilization that they encounter that is going to react very badly to that. And so we want to have a living being that another living being can regard as, oh, we are similar on this level. I, one thing that I'm, I, I like that idea because like they, it, like, you know, like we, hey, we have Klingons, we have Ferengi, we have Cardassians, we have humans, we have Beta Zeds, we have everything like that. But to, in order to extend the olive branch to a society that is artificial or silicon or whatever, like it would be easier to accept ones and zeros instead of flesh and blood. And mm -hmm. so it makes me wonder if, like if the kind of the history of this is built off of what we know where they were worried about, you know, having disposable people, having a date on every single starship because of the work of Maddox in Measure of a Man, but then what if they ended up going ahead with that, but it wasn't disposable people, it wasn't mindless automaton, it was individuals like Data, maybe Data found a way to perfect the Soon technique and... And so he was able to develop a person, an android, with you know emotions and with intelligence and with personality and sentience. And he'd made a whole bunch of them. And then also in combination with the doctor from Voyager mm. developing sentience. And he fought for hollow rights and everything like that. And so maybe things were just getting so out of control that they, the Federation just embraced it and then realize like, okay, so like we have to limit what we can do. We need to limit how we develop hollow people. We need to develop, limit how we develop Android people. And, and it's something like that. And so like, so that we're not taking advantage of them. And then somehow years in the future, the idea has fused where we're like, okay, we have, you have data, like we have an Android that can run around like crazy, but he's not integrated into the ship. And we have the doctor who is integrated into the ship, but not fully, and he can't run around everywhere. I mean, he has his mobile emitter, but it's not standard. And and so where I'm, like, help me out a little bit, because like I'm going with this where, okay. it, like I'm trying to develop how we got to this place. How did we get to the place where, am I going too far by saying, oh, every, oh, basically it's us. Like, are we, you and I, John and, you, John and me, going too far by saying every ship is, is in control of the crew or do we just simplify it a little bit more by saying the captain is actually an artificial being? Yes. No, yes. The, the captain is an artificial being. Um, but like I envision something that is where the ship is the captain, but, but that's, that's take... what I'm saying. Like, is this a special case where it's just like, Oh, we have the first holographic captain, the first Android captain. Um, or are we saying that like, the ship in itself, the yes. ship makes the decisions and that's becoming a Federation Starfleet standard. Yes. Okay. Okay. So the I, latter, I, I but, do think that's the much more interesting one, but I think spinning off of you, we could even take an even more interesting tack. Now I know we've already had Voyager where somebody gets lost and we have, maybe we introduce some sort of mandate where they can't turn back. Right. Okay. Um, or the, the, the ship has been told the captain quote unquote, Maybe the ship is just called Captain, <laughs> uh, but it can't turn back. Your orders are you can't turn back until you go, you know, X number of distance and and then you can come back after that. And so stay with me 
going with where you were going, talking about the doctor and data, and then the ship is the captain. What if we start off with an all artificial crew that happens across some, and I know this is hokey and it's it's a trope and everything like that, but some crew that got lost exploring out by the Great Barrier that was a living crew from the past, and they run across them. And then that crew has to reintegrate and they want to go back, but this crew won't let them. And so they have to find a way to work together and accept that they're all going to continue going out exploring. Oh, man. Um, my, my knee jerk is, well, that's like a refined version of Maquis and Federation. Yes. You know, coming together. But at the same time, I love the addition to artificial and from the past that's so star trek and that can very much like play into like it's kind of like in first contact where picard is like all high and mighty and superior to alfrey woodard's character Mm -hmm. saying like oh you know like we're evolved we we no longer seek revenge or and like we seek to better our lives and everything like that and he's just full of garbage um i feel like that we, we could kind of play off of that where this artificial crew is is the evolved ones and and like maybe like they don't necessarily like they're not racist like they they don't look down on humans overtly but they're kind of like vulcans where they kind of see them as sure <laughs> okay that's adorable that's cute um but and the humans or like the the starfleet crew i think it needs to be a starfleet crew Oh, yes, Um, absolutely. I think they're so far removed, like even though they're evolved for us, they're not evolved to the artificial beings. And so that's where we can connect with them again because they're out of place. And let's give a good old Star Trek opportunity for this crew. Um, This crew that is discovered, they would be from next generation early part of next year they were some crew that went out or are they going to be somebody that went out around the time that voyager launched or are they going to be somebody that launched while we were paying attention to the enterprise during their film romp i feel like it would be it would be easy i don't want to say easy it would be i think it would most likely it would be a little bit further back so it'd be like from our history where there, where we would see them in the, the tng season one uniforms Ooh, but, I like that. I like I like that a lot. I really like that a lot, especially because you're saying TNG season one. Yeah, because that's even more believable that however you want to construct it, this crew went out. But how big is this crew? How many people have? Because I don't want to have a con type of thing where it's like everybody died and I blame the Federation. I don't want <laughs> something like that. I want these people have either been like Scotty trapped in a transporter pattern or they have managed to survive and they've done okay. But how big was their crew when they went out? Because these are our human characters, you know, but are we limiting ourselves by going that far back because the Federation hasn't fully integrated with, you know, like back then Klingon is weird. Whereas by the time you get to Voyager, it's like, ah, you got Bajoran, you got, uh, you know, all, all of these different, um, you know, uh, a species out there that, that could be integrated. So I think maybe we do need to move it farther forward just so we can get 
maybe a Ferengi on there even. I was thinking the same exact thing is that we are limiting ourselves with diversity of species. Um, because yeah, it would be really nostalgia, nostalgic and really cool if we got those TNG season one uniforms. But at the same time, if we could throw in maybe the first Cardassian to oh ever my gosh, that would be Star awesome! Trek, in Star and in, in Star, in Star enlist in Star Trek, enlist in Starfleet is what I meant to say. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, that, no, that would be great. I would love to see. The thing is, seeing a Cardassian in a Starfleet uniform would be as mind blowing as when you saw War for the first time and you said to yourself. A Klingon in yeah. Starfleet? You know, like that's a weird premise when TNG came out. So I love, yes, we have a Cardassian on the crew. Absolutely. All right, so I, 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 it sounds like both you and I are excited about this premise, so we're just going to go with it. I think that they're, I think they're stuck in time. I don't, I think that maybe they got thrown out of the galaxy and somehow they, like, they tech the tech or they, they science the science or the anomaly the anomaly. <laughs> And they were cut in a loop or that they were completely unaware of. I mean, that happens all the time. You know, like they, it happens all the time in Star Trek where like, let's make it that they were stuck in a time loop. Can, can I offer a little spin on this? Go for it. Uh, they were stuck in a time loop, but they were aware of it. They knew that they weren't aging, but they were conscious. Oh, that, that would be, they would go insane. Would they? Yeah, we're talking about hunt. Like, I feel like if we're going to make the AI as advanced as it is, we have to go even further beyond the 25th century. Hmm. Don't you? We I, can't just go 30 years in the future. I think we have to go to a different federation. Uh, I would. Hmm, I don't know if we have to go that far because I would say maybe 50 years in the future. Really? Yeah. yeah. I I would. I I could I could be. I could be persuaded otherwise. I um, think I need to persuade you otherwise because this crew, this this human and Cardassian and Bajoran, this this flesh and blood crew has to be foreign to the to this AI crew mm. because they have to see that because if it's if they're fresh, if they were just made or only been in service for a couple of decades, then they know how to work with flesh and blood people. They know how to do this. They know how to do that. What if some people's fears about what the Federation was going towards became real, whether the Federation became too comfortable mm. and too reliant on technology and, okay. and that actually happened to the point where, you know, like Seven of Nine once went to Janeway and said, you know, why don't we just do a straight shot? Let's just do a straight shot back home. You know, you'll cut down on the risk and we'll get home faster. And, and Jane was just like, that'd be a boring trip. We, you know, Federation could just send a whole bunch of probes and, and then not send people and achieve the same thing. But because of human intuition and because of our drive of curiosity, you know, we, we, oh. we want to be in the trip themselves. We, let me say one more mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And this, this new ship with AI it running it, like it's an AI ship with AI is running it. Um, they, some federation engineer figured out like now we can have both we can have the probes as well as the curiosity i i want to take it even a step further that this isn't a oh no the federation went this way when this old crew encounters this uh completely i'm just gonna say automated ship with a data with a doctor with a, an ai captain can we take it even farther and just say this is simply the way things evolved? They're simply 
this is just the way it went. There's nothing, you know, so it, it's, it's, it's this crew coming back from the past that, we, and we're dealing with them adjusting. But really where, where I'm trying to go mentally with this is what if we turn this crew on the, the AI ship we have quote unquote three characters, only three characters on this new crew that's going to encounter the the old crew. But the twist is, since they're AI, it's like Doctor Manhattan, where somebody yes. can be talking to someone and then they turn around and they walk down and like, ah, how'd you get there? And it's like, oh, it's still me, but I'm over there working right now. How do you manage that? You know, a a, a situation like that where you can you can run across. Um, a, agent smith a hundred times mm-hmm. and it's just a different expression of agent smith but it's still agent smith sort of thing so we have to i think we because we're star trek nerds we have to develop a reason why do like why do they take sentient form you know why why is there why do they even have the capability of taking sentient form why does the ship have multiple personalities why doesn't it just have one why is there even air why are there consoles? You know, like what's what's the mm. reasoning behind that? Because mm. that's going to be a like the crew, like they 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 rescue the crew, and so the crew's there, and we're just like, wait, why are there beds? You know, like why are there facilities? Why do you support flesh and blood life when this isn't a flesh and blood ship? Because and they can say, uh, let me just throw this idea out there. They can say because this basically they can say this is what's familiar. This is who raised us. We're a reflection of the people who made us, and so we have these things because it's simply, you know, the AI is excited to get out there because it wants to experience life that's not defined by the way humans built life around them. That's just a first thought. That would be okay. why. They, but they and they don't necessarily need to have air. What if they have a situation where when the one emissary of the the AI crew goes out there, and everybody you know, and they they say, oh, okay, we pulled you out of the time loop, and they're talking to the Cardassian and the Bojorn and and the others, and they say, okay, let's go over, and that AI has to say, well, we have to wait a hot minute because we have to generate atmosphere for you. We're, mm-hmm. We we weren't equipped for that. We didn't have those things, and so you could even have a, a character. And the thing is, I want to have a character sort of like um, Torres, actually, who is curious and uh, exploratory and hands on. And we can even have a situation where, uh, you know, the the AI forgets to put air in a compartment, and so this Torres like character goes somewhere and says, "Oh, I want to find out how this works," and opens it up and starts choking. And mm-hmm. then, you know, the AI comes in and says, oh, gosh, sorry, I forgot. Yes, everywhere has to have air, not just, yeah. you know, a couple of spots. I think I think that's that's pretty that's, that's a genuine thought of just like, oh, we're a reflection. Like, I don't actually look like this. Mm-hmm. And like when an, an AI runs a ship, it's actually because we are artificial and because we are intelligent, uh, like we can disagree. We can change our minds. And so they don't just put one AI in a ship mm-hmm. because like diversity breeds opinion and there's, there's something, something to that effect. Right. And so that would explain why they're, I love the three idea and I love the Dr. Manhattan idea. What if it is built like a ship because they're like, well, we still need to be serviced every once in a while by like 
but this was still built by flesh and blood people and they had to be inside it or something like that. Actually, no, I'm going off the rails a little bit. No, like AI is so advanced that they can take care of themselves and they can even build themselves. What if the reasoning is because when we seek out new life and new civilization, this ship needed to be suitable for any type of species that we yes. can think of. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly right. That is, that is exactly right. And we even wind up hitting the hurdle of they're going when they pick up this crew, they're going to have to find food. They're going to have to find because yes, I know they have replicators and the you know state of matter, blah blah blah. But they didn't necessarily come mm-hmm. with long term food. They were like, Long-term, oh well, yeah. we we came with some food so that when we hosted, uh, you know, an ambas- you know, we have an ambassadorial dinner uh, with a species that we encounter, we can feed them. But we weren't thinking we were going to have how three big- meals for five hundred people a day, right? Like that kind of thing. How many people were on that crew, though? I want to get back to that. How many people? Here's the thing. Okay, so like a Constitution class starship is like 170. Oh no, no, it was like 300, and they packed them in. Mm-hmm. And Voyager was like 175 people or something like that even though it was the same size as a constitution class and you had the enterprise D which was a thousand people. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of go in the middle and say 500 people, 500 people. And how many core people do we have? I mean, obviously we'll have our background people then. Um, is, is that too much? Is 500 too much? Should it be a small contingent? Should it be like a defiant size vessel? See, I was kind of thinking defiant sized just from a practical matter of keeping the number of people down and so we can keep our crew focused and we can keep our storylines focused. Um, I like that. And also if they were in a special exploratory mission that was way ahead of the curve, they were going to risk as few people as possible uh, to get there. You know, like, like the, the and we can see the, sh- we can see the, the kind of idea shift right there where they can even say, well, wow, they sent like five of us out because it was so risky. And I'm not saying five is our number, but they could say like they sent five of us out because it was risky and you guys, it doesn't even matter. They're just going to send you, you know, you can just go out because you're you, you know. So what, okay. So if that case, do they, we, I guess we don't really need a starship. It could be just like a runabout then. Like maybe they weren't even on a mission. They were somehow they got thrown around they were on an away mission maybe they were maybe oh maybe that's why maybe if they were on an away mission from their mothership Mm. and got thrown into a time loop thrown across the galaxy and that's why there's no captain that's why that's they it's just a first officer um a tactical Mm. officer and a science officer or something like that and then a few other people i like that i like that idea that it that was a small ship that they were away from the main ship. I like that. I think that that's, that's a, that's a good idea. And it also helps uh, that gives us a very logical reason to keep the crew small. Here's a question. I know we want a Cardassian. I think that having a Bajoran there working with the Cardassian is extremely interesting, especially for longtime fans. Um, do we want to bring a Vulcan back? I, no, I'm fine. Good. I'm fine. Do I. A Vulcan. We're, we're done with Vulcans. Yeah, I'm done okay. with Vulcans right now. Okay. Now, obviously, we got to have a human, at least one human. I don't think that human has to be the lead officer, though. Yes. Um, I I would love the Cardassian to be the first officer. What? Yeah. Crazy town. How? Glass cool ceiling shattered, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that would be very cool. And then, yeah. Okay. And it, how do we round out this crew? Okay, so we have a first officer. We have... Uh, why would an engineer have gone off? Because I think that the engineer gives us a great deal of um, opportunity to show 
you know, when integrating with the artificial intelligence crew, like the idea that the AI can learn something from somebody who is willing not to do it perfectly, but say, you know, yeah, you know, some tinfoil and bubblegum will hold that together long enough that, until you can fix it right. Well, I think, um, I th- you know, Jordy went on away missions all the time. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, what if it was a Cardassian first officer and a female Bajoran lead engineer and they were actually in a relationship together? I, I love it. I love it. Like, oh. that's how far, like, it's close enough to our... Uh- star trek present where the relationship would be seen as odd but now they're in a timeline where it's not odd i don't know i don't want them in a romantic relationship i want them to be best friends i want them to be the okay. Bashir and o'brien uh, because okay. that i think is resonant enough without having a romantic thing hanging over uh the audience or anything like that like it i like it okay um okay so cardassian first officer are we sticking with female Bajoran engineer, yes. chief engineer, yeah, f- female okay. Bajoran chief engineer, uh, and would we'd have to have somebody from security, but it's not head security. It's okay. It's just in a it's a red shirt who went. Maybe maybe that's the human. That's the human. Is, <laughs> is, the, is the security red shirt? <laughs> the thing is, I'm just uh, I'm just uh, you know picturing the character from. Uh, from Galaxy Quest at this point. Oh man, I'm <laughs> is dying. there air? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so we, we've got our we've got our we've got three right there. What other? I mean, would be totally weird, sort of a Federation species to introduce here. What? I don't want to do Klingon. Neither one of us wants to do uh, uh, Vulcan. Um, I think Ferengi is too deep space nine. Completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, it's a, maybe it's a race we've never heard of. Maybe it's oh, maybe it's a Kelpian. Ooh, okay. Mm. Like we like we we see them again. I am fine with that simply because I really found the Kelpian uh, that whole thing very very interesting in Discovery. Um, now, actually, okay, so uh, like the um, the Saru in Discovery was a science officer. Mm-hmm. And is it too on the nose to make the Kelpian the science? Because we don't want to make him the science race. You know? I, so, I agree with you. Uh, so what if he was the security guy then instead of the human? Mm. Well, that would show growth and something very different and unexpected because the Kelpians are supposed to be, you know, oh, my threat ganglia are mm-hmm. acting up and, the, and that sort of thing. So somebody who has learned to control their fear to the point where they're a security officer. I think that's very interesting. All right. I think that's Let's very go interesting. With that. And then make the, um, maybe make the human a, um, a science officer, kind of low level. Science officer or doctor, part of the medical crew. Hmm. Actually, actually, I'm wondering if instead of, like maybe that's one of the challenges is that the AI crew has to see to the medical needs. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Of the okay. crew and with no input. Okay. Yes. From an actual doctor. Yeah. Okay. Um so we've got four. Is four so enough? I, I feel like because I feel like we need five, right? No, I you know what? I actually don't feel that. Because if we've got a triumvirate, a trinity on the AI ship. Okay. That can also we can also have, you know, three of 
of are they going to be color coded in terms of their uniforms? The the AI presences is there still going to be our easy color coding, but we're we're drilling it down. You know, I mean that would be very cool as well, just because you know the the blue, the gold, the red, that's easily identifiable. I I like that, but at the same time, I kind of I would love to see them change their uniform color depending on where they are or what they're doing. Oh, that is interesting. Like it's like automatic. That. Like I'm going to go to engineering, and all of a sudden they're wearing a uh, a gold uniform. I like that. Oh, and you know what? Something else that just popped in my head is I think that a, a challenge that they would also have to overcome is they're not used to vocalizing their reasoning or thought processes. And they have to start doing that around the humans. And they keep right, forgetting. They they, 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 they're forgetting to do that at the beginning of everything. So what can this flesh and blood crew bring to the table? Because this AI is so advanced. They don't need to speak. They just do things. And they don't need to eat. They don't need to take care of themselves. And they go and explore. They just collect data. What does this flesh and blood crew bring to the table? I think that's going to be a key element. Because I feel like in the first mission, and we don't need to like write an episode or anything like that, but I feel like right off the bat, they need to show their value. Yeah, I think it's an interesting conflict and it doesn't necessarily need to resolve in the first episode. You can have a lingering thought of, they're why are they or not why but somebody saying they're obviously just humoring us they don't need us why are we here and then you can have a a a flip moment where the ai crew is saying what why did we why didn't we just put them back we could have just put them back (laughs) we don't need them we could have let somebody else they'd have been perfectly happy just stuck in the anomaly the whole time yeah um and so that becomes, I mean, the thing is, that could be an interesting theme for the first half of the first season or the first season as a whole of defining your role in an evolving society. How do you how do you take away your sense of meaning and purpose when you're not sure how the society is working anymore or the paradigm has shifted? Yeah, I love that idea. I love the idea of not immediately showing that they have value. Yeah. I feel like... I feel like in order to add the drama, I think we do need them to accomplish something, but I think it needs to be a constant battle where they need to prove to themselves as well as these other people, these AI people, that they're not just passengers, that they're not just some relic of an old age right. and they actually can contribute. And, and like maybe the scientist, maybe the science officer is having the hardest time because everything is yes uh, no but but i think that could even set up a a very good arc uh for at least part of the season where one member of this crew just says i'm not going to do anything i'm just going to sit down and like you have a conflict within that crew that's worked together and been friends and went on this mission and got lost and all of that stuff and they were all well and good and then one of them is like oh well okay i guess i'm just going to kick back then and i'll just be here and then that can create a conflict within that crew of them saying no you got to do something we got to figure out something and the person putting the question out there that becomes the the theme for the season why tell Mm -hmm. me why i need to have you know this purpose or or this thing and i yeah i like that i like that maybe they pursue something outside of starfleet they're like we can do whatever we want here (laughs) right right you know like i can i can paint 
<laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I can I can I can be the best me without worrying about duty or scholarship or anything like that. I can take up the, uh, you know, the the Vulcan liar and start, you know, playing row, row, row your boat 24 seven if I want to. And maybe that actually is part of the drama where they start to certain like of the crew or that one person of the crew starts to regress to, Ooh. you know, like what we would do in that situation. And that's so foreign to this 24th century crew mm-hmm. because they've evolved s- since us. And this person is just like, hey, if there's nothing for me to do, then I'm going to do nothing. Yeah. And I have all my needs taken care of. And that maybe they, you know, like that then the, the crew starts espousing saying like, listen, we've been down, like we've been down this road before as a species and what culminated was war and famine, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, Hey, slow your roll. Like, calm down. I'm just, uh, I'm just eating Doritos a little bit more than I should. You know? Well, yeah, no, it, it becomes like the Wally premise when yeah, everything yeah. is done for you, what happens to you, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and so I think that could be a very, very interesting thread to pull because that, because then the show, becomes you know the allegorical treatment of what happens when technology becomes so advanced that you have less to do how do you fill your time and and there's no social media for anybody to uh to uh kill their time with (laughs) so we have a a cardassian first officer yes who was a first officer Mm -hmm. um we have a um female bajoran um, so it was a male Cardassian and a female Bajoran mm-hmm. um, chief engineer. We have a Kelpian male or Kelpian female. We haven't I say seen fe- one of those. I say female because we haven't seen we've we've seen a male. We haven't seen a female. So let's. Do I think Kelpian. that's great. Let's do yeah. it. Kelpian female security officer mm-hmm. and a human male science officer works for me. And I want to say like. You know, the the first officer, I want to say, is a little bit like, even though he's Cardassian, he's a little bit like Riker, you know, like he has a little <laughs> bit of swagger, you know, and that's why he was able to integrate into into Starfleet so well. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he can't be like Garrick. <laughs> um, right, right. No, I, I could see that. He, he could be, you know, it, you could even set up something interesting about that character's backstory where, you know, so far as the Cardassians are concerned, he's a little bit like, he was never going to be a rising star in the Cardassian Empire. And so it was like, and so it was like, ah, oh, Starfleet, that's a little more my speed. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that, do that. Love it. Love it. Love it. He's like, I never fit in. Yeah. In, in the union and, or the Obsidian Empire or anything like that. I love that. Um, and then I know this, this might be cliche and it might be easy for me to go, but with the, the Bajoran chief engineer, I want to go more towards Torres, but we've already seen that with Torres. So mm-hmm. what if we went in the opposite direction? And she was a little bit more like Troy, where she was warm and comforting, but she was commanding at the same time. I like where it. like we we don't expect that out of a chief engineer, but yet she makes it work because she kind of flies in the face of stereotypes where you have to be a hothead and you know cutthroat in order to get done what she needs to get done. But in this day and age, she can just be her she can be the best that she can be and still be herself. I love it. I, I'm sold. That works. So who is this Kelpian female? Oh, well, I mean, you know, I just how did she how did she get good enough control of her fear instincts to become a security officer? How did she 
refocus herself is my question. Um, because, you know, you know, with the threat ganglia thing, do we even make it? And the thing is, I, you know, I don't, I don't care since we're talking about things that are, because a, a thought that's been floating in the back of my head is, are we making this too fan specific? But in the era of the streaming platform and I mean, catering to an audience, I don't mm-hmm. care. So let's make this Kelpie and let's fully embrace. Maybe she's done something where she's like taken her threat ganglia out or something ooh, where she's ooh, done something radical with herself because she didn't want, you know, this is somebody who didn't want to be defined by the way Kelpie and society saw things anymore. And she removed the threat ganglia. And so she, she is a completely unique, you know, she's Kelpian by birth, but who she is by choice sort of thing. That is so crazy. I love it. I love it. Do we, that is badass. She's like, she's like, oh, some say like we couldn't control it. So I just removed it. Yeah. Or is, would it be more powerful because she did overcome it? Or do we want something physical and tangible where you're just like, damn, you know, we're just kind of like, I, I like the idea of something physical and tangible where it's easily. And the AI can even say like, maybe she's so unique that when the AI encounters her, it says what, what happened? You know, mm-hmm. was there an accident? Did something happen? And she can just lay it out there. No, I took it out. I didn't want yeah. it anymore. And seriously, and because obviously I think the AI is going to be androgynous mm-hmm. because there's no point to, and that could even be a, an interesting thread is the AI starts trying to cope with interacting with them by trying to take on different modes of sexuality and stuff like that. And like that start, you know, that, that can, you can explore a lot of interesting themes with that as well. Well, do okay. So, do we make them androgynous, or do we make one male, one female, and one fluid? I say all three have no. They're they're not. You know, they haven't assigned themselves anything. You know, and that's that. I mean, so in a sense, this um, this AI crew you know, is whatever it wants to be at any time. And that, I mean, that I think gives you a tremendous opportunity as well with, uh, even if you wanted to like sub actors in and out through the season or something like that, as the AI finds different ways to express itself. And, you know, it's almost like a, um, even though I haven't watched the the show, I know the, the basic premise of like carbon black about, you know, what defines your self sort of thing. Carbon black. That's Are you on, talking about uh, altered that, carbon. Yeah. I think that was Black Mirror mixed yes. with um, carbon, yes, <laughs> altered carbon. Love it. <laughs> I'd watch that show. Yeah, I, I would. I, I guess I would too. I guess I would too. <laughs> so, yes, that, that's what I meant was altered carbon. I meant okay. altered carbon, where it's, you know, the the AI doesn't have a need to have anything like that about itself. Mm. I feel like I we need to wrap up, but I feel like I could argue the value of of having a d- different genders in order to obtain different points of view. But I think your idea is too, too tantalizing to, to pass up like in a writer's room, it would have so much interesting, dy- it would have so many interesting dynamics and in possibilities that I, I do want to go with that. So the last character is the human, the, the human male science officer. I feel like this person was is a middle of the road science officer um needs to prove himself 
but falls pretty hard when he realizes that everything he knows is centuries out of date or maybe not centuries out of date, but a century out of date. Well, it's not just out of date, but he wasn't particularly good at it to begin with. And so he's I mean, he can be our character that is having the hardest time adjusting because there's nowhere for him to go. There's no opportunity for him. You know, I mean, he can learn and he can sit at the library and stuff like that, but he's never going to be, uh, you know, an excellent officer or anything like that. And maybe, maybe, you know, I mean, you could, do, I think you could do a lot of interesting things there. Um, because if he's a middle of the road science officer and he just happened to be on this mission because the primary science officer stayed on the ship, um, mm-hmm. then yeah, you, you have somebody who's already a little bit insecure and then put in this environment. That's, you know, what happens. I lo- I love that idea. I love the idea. Like there was this old commercial where a football player had like five Super Bowl rings, but he sat on the bench every single time mm-hmm. because he just kept getting traded and traded and traded. Yeah. Yeah. And he just happened to be traded to a Super Bowl team every single time. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to say like, that's what happened to this guy. Like yeah. he was like, he was like, like maybe this is, um, I don't want to say he was on the flagship, but they're like, you like you were with the best of the best. How'd you get there? It's just like, well, I got transferred all the time and like they saved the world every single time I was a part of it. So I had a great resume. And <laughs> yeah, yes, I love this idea. I love this idea. Yeah. All right. Well, man, like this is um, this I, this turned into a really I know we were really just supposed to kind of develop a dream crew or like the next crew of the next exploration show. But we really focused a lot on the premise and the concept. And we really took it into the future. And I'm very proud of what we came up with. I think this is this would make some really interesting and original television. I agree. Especially in the realm of Star Trek. Yeah. Man, we need to contact some people at CBS because <laughs> apparently they're just passing out, you know, show ideas and, you know, showrunners like like parking tickets. So, you hey, know, maybe we got a shot. We've got our show pitch right here. <laughs> All right. Well, as we talked about earlier in the show, you can find me on Twitter at the Insane Robin. You can find John at Kessel Junkie. Um, Char will be back next week, but we won't. And I have no idea what they're going to be talking about, but I know that they're going to punch it. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.